Ladies and gentlemen, Stu Breyer. Hey, I'm looking forward to this hour. We all need a break, and um, every year, Mohegan Sun Arena, we get a break of nothing but pure party fun. And uh, who's with us in the studio? The man who got all the grease for all the peace. It's Bowser. <laughs> Bowser's here. I've been saying grease for peace since 1970, though, Stu, and it hasn't worked yet. Well, I think get some planes and just let the peace fly, uh, grease fly down. <laughs> I guess I just keep saying it, but... Yeah. Uh, Look, you got a lot of hair left to grease, so... Yeah, the hair has stayed has stayed intact. Not That's me. That's a nice thing. They but, can't uh, see it on, on radio. Yeah. But and they can't see me do the Bowser pose. Like, see, I'm about to do it right now. Yeah, oh, yes, it was good. It. it looks the same. It hasn't changed the- a bit. <laughs> You're still right-handed. Okay, I can do. I am what's called ambiflextrous. I can. You I can, can both arms. Yeah, I can do it with. Watch. Just did it with oh, my left. Absolutely. I didn't know you could listeners. do it with both arms. Yes, I'm ambiflextrous, which I've also, I think, been saying since 1970. So certainly, <laughs> certainly uh, every time it gets to the new year, we start to think about, hmm, the Bowser show is coming. Time for Bowser's Rock and Do-Up Party at Mohegan Sun, volume 22. Wow, 22 years. Amazing. Uh, so, uh, you know, we get to... Some of the stars that you're going to bring with? Sure. And then, uh, you know, first of all, uh, you know, you've been with me for a few years. We've yes. done this, and it's always been a pleasure. But uh, people say, oh, yeah, I remember Shanana. And the first thing I Shanana. How did that, how did that start, the, uh, the show Shanana? Well, the group Shanana started well before the TV show Shanana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we played in this area for many years, really between 1969 and 1970. Seven, you know, we were just a touring band, but a very well-known touring band. And uh, the group actually started in college at Columbia University. Um, you know, my my father said uh, about the Bowser character, he did say at one point, so I sent you to Columbia University so you could become a moron. And I did not agree with that because I never... Th- Thank <laughs> because goodness. Bowser was quite a street smart, is quite a street smart fellow. But he probably doesn't have an Ivy League education, you know, as the first look at the greaser of the 50s through the eyes of the 70s. So we started at Columbia. It was an outgrowth of a singing group that I was never in called the Columbia University Kingsmen that actually stood around in a semicircle and wore blue blazers and gray slacks and sang college songs like, Oh, I Love the Halls of Ivy. And let me tell you, in like the very late 60s, nothing could have been more irrelevant (laughs) at universities in America than songs like, Oh, I Love the Halls of Ivy. You're not going to be singing that Sunday. No, this was ridiculous. So, So consequently, the Columbia University Kingsmen never had any jobs to do. They did three things in the entire year. The Barnard College Lawn Party, which was over during freshman week, the Yule Log Ceremony at Christmas, and John Jay, um, and, and I'm sorry, St. Luke's Hospital Psychiatric Ward, fifth floor in the spring. And those were the three gigs. And in 1969, this group decided to try something different and put in a couple of what were then regarded as oldies yeah, right, man, <laughs> in yeah. the set, and they were like five years old, because as you and I both know, musically, the 50s ended in 1964, when the Beatles came over. You know, they, so, so in 1969, a song like Duke of Earl was six years old, you know, it came out in like 63, but this just hit everybody, all these college kids, like a rocket. That's like, oh, my God, you know, remember these songs from... Yeah, from, when we were kids. Yeah. When we were kids from our childhood when we were 12 and now we're 17. And that's really what happened. We played at colleges at first at other colleges. Um, and then, you know, the group played at Woodstock, then it went on tour. You know, I joined the group a little after that, actually. I replaced a guy, Alan Cooper... Um, he was a very lovely guy, but he was a guy who just happened to be in the Columbia University Kingsmen, and he became the provost at Jewish Theological Seminary for his entire career, you know, in New York. Um, you, you know, these original guys in in the very original group of Shanana, there were 12 of them. Many went on to do 
what they had intended mm-hmm. to do or what sure. they had studied. Who could have dreamed? In yeah. college, no one, ex- no one was expecting this to turn into a national yeah. rock band. And they were at first universally replaced by people like me who were around campus, um, you, you know, were known around campus, but wanted to be in show business as distinguished from the original guys who didn't necessarily want to be in show mm-hmm. business. And the most interesting story, in a way, is um, Scott Powell, who was known on the show as Tony Santini, um, he stayed for quite a long time and did all the television shows. You know, we did 100 episodes of the Shannonat TV show. But uh, Powell, after after leaving the group, in the early 80s, went to medical school, became an orthopedic surgeon, and is very well known in Los Angeles as as an orthopedic surgeon. In fact, I think he was the um, he was the orthopedist to the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. Oh, good for him! Which is a big deal. Yeah. And one guy, Rob Leonard, uh, you know, who was the first guy in Shanana to sing "Tell Laura I Love Her" and "Teen Angel." And, and those were the songs that hit in the in the in that first incarnation at when we were playing at other colleges. Those were the ones that seemed like they were from a million years ago, not five. <laughs> you know, those were like that's from another lifetime. This song about this guy, you know, who's stuck on the railroad tracks and the, <laughs> and the train hits hits the car. You know, and then we made the chapel physically. Oh my God! You know, Rob so many Leonard of those. knelt in the chapel, and the crowd went wild. Rob became a—he—he he is, I think, still a professor of Swahili at um, Hofstra. <laughs> so it's a very interesting, complex history that I know when you has. do your shows, though, some, you still have some members sometimes. Uh, I always bring Johnny Cantardo. Yeah, mm. I always bring Johnny Cantardo, who joined the group slightly after me and still sings great. He actually replaced Rob, ultimately. Yeah. And Johnny was a kid from the north end of Boston. You know, this is what now now we we expanded outside the Columbia. Guys. That's my area. Boston. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. The first non-Columbia guy. Um, okay, I'll tell you this quick. You're probably sorry you asked me this question. But I think for people it's interesting. Sure. Um, Jocko, the drummer, went to Columbia on a football scholarship. From He was from, like, Milton, Mass. And, you know, football scholarships in Columbia were not like, uh, let's put it this way. I think ultimately, I think we our record has been broken. But at one point, the Columbia football team lost 48 games in a row and held the NCAA oh record for the most losses. <laughs> but So Jocko didn't have much fo- future as a football player, but he did have a future as a drummer. Um, there was an opening in the band, and Jocko brought in Lenny Baker, one of one of my closest friends in the group who's passed on now, the saxophone player, because Jocko and Lenny were in a uh, high school band called the Pilgrims where they wore pilgrim suits and this is all in Boston and they played places like, you know, the Surf Nantasket and the Beachcomber which was mostly known as the so coma. It was because, Plymouth Rock music. Right, because everyone, everyone at the beach coma was in a coma, apparently. So they just mm-hmm. called it the coma for short. And l- when Lenny came in, Lenny was the first non-Columbia guy to join the group. And I loved that guy. He was the funniest person I'd ever met. And he made so much hay every day out of, you know, it's like... Oh, you guys went to Columbia University, you know, to the bonded school of the arts, and you all think you know something, and, you know, you're all fools. And he wasn't wrong. So it became a very good mix of, like, half-Boston guys who had nothing to do with, with, you know, Columbia, and about half-Columbia guys left. And that became the group that uh, did the TV show. So who was the genius that said, hey, you guys, let's do this? Let's put this on television. I think we're going to hit a market, and it's going to be great. You know, like with a lot of hit shows, um, so many people ended up taking credit for that, for the shot on a TV show that you can't even tell. Our manager had something to do with it, Mm -hmm. for sure. Pierre Cosette, the executive producer, had something to do with it. Um, Basically, the, the PR firm had something to do with it. But basically what happened was that 
we had been functioning as a as a successful rock band at that point for eight years. Um, you know, we were nationally known, and we had wormed our way up into being headliners from, mm-hmm. you know, being an opening act for people. Um, okay, so in the mid-'70s, Happy Days was number... We, we, we had really kind of started the rock and roll revival, but it spread into all media. You know, the, the look at the 50s spread into all media. Happy Days was number one, and Laverne and Shirley was number two, or maybe it was the reverse at that time. So there were people in the television industry, because this is how it works, as you know, going like, hey, what can we find that's like that? Of course, it's hot. Right, it's hot. So um, we ended up with a pilot for this syndicated show aimed at 7.30 p.m., prime access time. And I think to a lot of people's surprise, we got the pilot and it did well. You know, they aired it and it got tremendous response. It was musical, so it was different from Happy Days in Laverne and Shirley. Um, the fact that it was musical has become a problem now in rerunning it. Because I think, as you know, music on television is very costly and you have to re-clear everything. And Pierre Cosette, the exec producer, didn't clear it in perpetuity, which he should have. When we, when we love to see some of those old classics. And they're so much fun. Yeah. Know, the, but, but it's very hard to rerun the old variety shows because of music. And our show, if you took all the music out of it, there's no show. Mm-hmm. Sure. Know, there was some comedy in it, but, but it was really more about the music. But... Uh, we it was just the right moment for television and we did 97 episodes which was four seasons and then they uh then then they stopped making new shows and and started stripping it what's called which is really where the producers end up making money cuz they run it 5 days a week so a lot of people watch that show is still every time I, I say Bowser and they oh yeah still I get so many people with such fond memories of the show and you know you can still find episodes on YouTube or whatever you know on the internet mm-hmm. but it would definitely be running on some station oh. or another if, if and it be very popular the, I'm sure and be very popular if it weren't for the music clearance Bowser's here and uh, the big show is coming up this Sunday at three o'clock at Mohegan Suns Arena. Uh, Folks, we'll give you a chance if you'd like to say hi to Bowser. Also, after the break, we're going to tell you about the talented lineup for this year's show. So stay with us. 889-5252 is our number. So our friend Bowser's here getting us warmed up for the show on Sunday. So let's face it, we all remember Shanana, but how did you evolve into the Fonzie of Shanana with the grease for peace and... uh, your character. Yeah, and then remember this was well before Fonzie. Yeah. You know, Fonzie, yeah. if anything, was a, a, a takeoff on Bowser, I guess. You know, you know. Well, definitely I mean, the tie. things were all related. He's, sure, of course. He's, he's a connect. friend of mine. I mean, he's a very nice, like the world's nicest person. Mm-hmm. Although if people, if you have heard the um, Adam Sandler Hanukkah song. Yes, I have. In which uh, Henry and I are prominently featured... As, as having lunch at the Carnegie <laughs> Deli, <laughs> yeah. although we we are friends because our kids went to um, elementary school together, actually, uh, so we do know each other, and I, I do certainly think very fondly of him. But we've never we never had lunch at the Carnegie Deli. That was just okay. S- something had to rhyme. With, something had to rhyme. Rhyme. Rhyme with Fonzarelli, and that's where Adam came up with that one. Yeah, yeah, there's not that much that rhymes so, with. So your 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 Bowser thing always. Stands out, you know. We look for Bowser and uh, Grease for Peace, and uh, it kind of happened that way. Okay, so so (laughs) when I joined Shanana, I determined that the right thing to do. I had an acting background, so I determined that the right thing to do was to create a real character and really to take a look at the greaser of the fifties through the eyes of nineteen seventy. Um. My experience in the 50s, as someone before going to Columbia, um, I went to my local high school, Martin Van Buren High School, um, but I was playing classical piano, and I went to the Juilliard School of Music on Saturdays to the preparatory division, which from where I lived took me three 
subways and a bus to get there. And it was like an hour and a half. And from the time I was like 12 to the time I was 17, you know, I studied classical music at Juilliard. At the bus stop, which was outside the Surrey Luncheonette in Queens, there were a bunch of greasers who used to hang around who mainly, you know, like in the in the winter, my mother made me wear the, like the terrible ear laps, you know, that strap under your chin. You know, it was I was a terribly nerdy kid with a briefcase. I of remember ju- that well. Of Juilliard me. books. Yeah. You know, so basically the greasers outside the Surrey Luncheonette used to try to turn my briefcase over and kick my and kick my Juilliard books down the sewer, and um. You know, similar things happened when I went to go, you know, play field baseballs with my friends Irwin and Carl in Alley Pond Park. And basically, I looked at that greaser from the 50s and created Bowser and turned all the people who used to terrorize me and try to kick my Juilliard books down the sewer into my fans. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> and they still are my fans today. That's now they now instead of trying to kick my books down the sewer, they go like, "Hey, Bows, how you doing?" <laughs> That's a wonderful story. So um, it's the truth. What a lot of talent came from that area, <laughs> Juilliard, and that. Hi, you have a uh, question for Bowser. Are you there? No. Okay. Guess we lost somebody there. Hopefully we'll get him back. It's probably somebody who tried to kick my books down the sewer, Stu. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's let's talk thought, about... What are we going to ask him? Eight eight nine five two five two. We probably had a mis- uh, disconnect, knows? and who knows. So, let's talk about uh, the cast. Yes. We should get to the lineup, which is maybe the one of the better lineups we've ever had. You know, I, Maynard Strickland, um, who was a former head of the Tribal Council at Mohegan and was very instrumental in in the creation of this show, along with another tribal member who's passed on since, Jimmy Fox. And this goes back now. This is volume 22, so this goes back to like 23 years. And Maynard thinks this is maybe the best lineup we've ever had. It's certainly up there. So uh, Bowser's Rock and Doo-Wop Party, volume 22. Two, I think it is. Kenny Vance and the Planetones, Gary U.S. Bonds, Jay Siegel's Tokens, Lala Brooks, original lead singer of the Crystals, The Dubs, Joey D, Johnny Farina of Santo and Johnny, 9-11 firefighter Frank Pizarro uh, singing the music of the Platters. That's a story in and of itself. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's a story in and of itself that we should talk about. Yeah. Bowser and the Stingrays, my group featuring Johnny Cantardo, my friend that I was just talking about, who still sounds great. And then our special guest, Bobby Wilson, son of Jackie Wilson, literally, and there's a documentary coming out about that, which is another story mm. in and of itself. Oh, this is... But, so it's it's... Everybody on this show is great. Yeah. You know, with, with probably the exception of me, but I get to be the host. Oh, are you kidding people who've seen you play the piano? Are you kidding me? Really go I to tr- town I on try. that thing. Yeah. <laughs> I try, but th- there's a lot of skill on this show. No, I know, I know. And and uh, I, w- I wouldn't miss it. This this one is going to be as, as good and better than any of the ones that we've had in the past. You know, and Kenny Vance... You know, hasn't been doing as many shows as he did before. I mean, none of us have. So it becomes sort of a rare opportunity to see a lot of people. Uh, you know, Kenny specifically, in recent years, and it, it has has done fewer and fewer shows. And he's a guy who worked himself up, you know, from towards the opening act of this lineup over the 22 years to being a, the headliner just on sheer skill. Oh, he's, he's tremendous. Uh, Kenny Vance, for those that, that say, Kenny Vance, Kenny Vance, uh, he, who wrote one of the greatest uh, songs describing your era and my era, uh, Looking for an Echo. And uh, we played the heck out of that song. People love that. Yeah, and, and he, um, you know, that was part of uh, American Hot Wax. He, he, he just on sheer talent. Uh, has has propelled himself into somebody who who can headline this show, and has successfully for two or three times now. 
So that that's a great big deal. And because, you know, as you know, Stu, the show used to be mostly a doo-wop show in January. Mm-hmm. Um, for a few years in there, we did a, a doo-wop show in January and a rock and roll show in the summer. But then we started just doing the doo-wop show in January. Now I combined those two genres so we can have, which which makes the show even better. Oh, do rock and roll. Right, because <laughs> now we can have Kenny Vance and the Planetones and Gary U.S. Bonds in the same show. Yeah. You know, and that just makes it 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 it's like nothing you know, you know from that era that you could ever that you've ever seen. It's all the best people who are still out there performing from the era, uh-huh. and uh, Gary's still high energy. And I was great. yeah, I was driving in thinking of Gary U.S. Bonds, and I'm thinking, boy, I, I love that song. School is out. Right, right. <laughs> it was such a what a lift. So. The name Gary U.S. Bonds, yeah. instead of calling himself Bonds, is there an interesting story to that? I don't, th- I, don't, I don't know that it's that. It, I don't really, I think that was a producer decision or a Gary and producer decision mm-hmm. early on in his career. He's Gary Anderson. He was Gary Anderson, and I think that was a catchy name to call him himself U.S. Bonds. Um, what we should talk about with Gary, I think, is... Very few people in the world, he may be the only one, have had Bruce Springsteen write a song for them. But Gary Osbonds had Bruce Springsteen write a song for him. The, wow. the song, I don't know if you ever play it on here, This Little Girl, that was I have played a that, hit yeah. for Gary in the yeah. like 80s. And the reason that happened was because he was Springsteen's favorite artist, literally. You know, growing up, and uh, he loved Springsteen. Just loved him and wrote him wrote him this song. You know, he's had him on stage. Bruce has had him on stage with him. I have a funny relation re- relationship with Springsteen because he was our opening act a few times, and uh, you know, this is in the seventies before he happened, mm-hmm. but it's right before he happened. And I, w- I will never forget. This only happened to me, like, I only ever felt this way twice in my career where, you know, the story was, was um, they're putting together the stage in the afternoon. We show up for sound check. You know, a, a stagehand says, hey, you guys ought to check out your opening act tonight. He's this local guy. He's really good. Right, And then the girl in the dressing room putting the soft drinks in the cooler said the same thing. You know, a few people said, check out your opening act. So Screaming Scott Simon, the piano player, and I stood, of, of Sean and I, you know, we got dressed a little early and we're standing on the side of the stage, you know, to check out this opening act because a bunch of people said the opening act was a local guy's really good. And this is at the Asbury Park Civic Center, which we as the headliner have sold out. It's like 7,500 right, right. people. And you know we check out this guy's uh, some some local guy with a band. He's got this African American saxophone player who immediately you go like, oh that kid can really play, you know. And you listen to the first song and you go like, that's really good. So he said, let's let's listen to another song. You're like, that's really good. (laughs) You're in the fifth by the fifth song. We're going like this guy's tearing this place apart. Like how are we going to follow this guy? And it's literally Bruce Springsteen. And the E Street Band, right? It's literally Bruce Springsteen. You okay? You got it. Yeah, my allergies. Okay, okay yeah, go ahead. It's literally Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, e Street Band playing the Born to Run album, you know, like five months before it comes out. Really? As our opening act. <laughs> you know, you were, you were asking earlier about, about our show, you know, like Sean and I as a show. It was damn lucky that we... It, we had a really good show because we never could have followed this guy. It's amazing when you think about it. Uh, you, uh, he opened up for you. He did. And it was, that wasn't the only time, but it was all during that time period. Reminded me of this singer in England that came. Uh, she, she was living in the area, and she was a very good singer and had a, maybe a hit or two in England, but nobody really knew her. And she says that she once opened up for the Rolling Stones. And she said, nobody believes me when I tell them that I did. But that's 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 a marvelous story. Now, the energy of Gary U.S. Bonds, he's not the kind of guy that would sing Love Me Tender. But uh, let's just let the folks remember this for just a little bit. 
Plus, he had a big audience, too, and he sang. Oh, for sure. Okay, that's Gary U.S. Bonds, and uh, quarter of three. You start at three o'clock. We do. <laughs> we start at three o'clock. At a quarter of three, people will be streaming into the arena, and then we'll probably start at three o seven, like we usually do, <laughs> because they can't get the people in the room because there's too many of them. Okay, we're gonna take a little break. We'll be right back. Okay, if I was just saw me get an analogy attack, um, which. Uh, he didn't know I could do doo-wop and uh, allergy attacks. And uh, let's say hi to this uh, caller right now. Hi, welcome hey. to the program. Hey, Bowser. Hi. Who How is it? How are we doing? So I have a similar experience um, in 1974, and Stu will get a kick out of this. We told our parents we were going to this amusement park called Rocky Point in Warwick, Rhode Island. Right. And one of the guys said, well, you know what? We're not going there. We're going to stop off at this place called the... Uh, Stepping Stone Ranch in Escahegue, Rhode Island, and we're going to go see this upcoming band, Aerosmith. Oh, yeah. By the the way, it was called Freedom Jam, and John Anna was on the ticket, of course, and Brownsville Station and a few other rock and roll bands, but you guys were awesome. (laughs) It was one of my first experiences going to a rock and roll show, but it was kind of funny because... I don't know who the headliner was. I don't know if it was Aerosmith right, right. or you guys, but it was 1974 right. in Exeter, Rhode Island, and it was called the Freedom Jam, and it was awesome. Oh, that's great. Thank you. What's your name? My name is Steve, and I'm from Mystic. Okay, Steve. Is. That's a great story. We we did a very memorable show, the first one we ever did with Aerosmith. <clears throat> Um, you know, and and they were they were well known in New England, but they were not really nationally known yet. And all that I remember was during Blue Moon, right before I was about to hit the uh, you, you know the low note. But the Bowser character, you know, was really tough at that time. You know, was yeah. before he became a crusty but lovable TV greaser. Yeah. You know, so these this audience, which was half Aerosmith's audience, started pelting me with objects from the <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah, it was, I, I just was. I had to dodge. I had to dodge so much, so much um, debris before I had to before I hit Blue Moon. But oh, it, was, it was meant in fun, and it actually was fun. But it's really memorable for me, and that was at Suffolk Downs, I remember, in uh, Boston. Okay, Suffolk yeah, Downs, yeah. That was so, Suffolk Downs. It was kind of like when George Bush was being pelted with shoes at one of the uh, <laughs> conferences a while back when George Bush was the president. Nobody threw anything and, as big as a shoe, <laughs> and actually I think this was a little more in fun than <laughs> than when when George Bush had to, had to duck the shoe. <laughs> but anyway, thanks for the memories. It was, a, it was a great show. I don't know if my parents ever found out um, oh. that that's what we did, but uh, we were, you know, like 16, yeah. you know, 15 to 16 at the time, and you know, they said, "Well, it was a long trip to go to Rocky Point." I said, "Well, you know, we had to, we, you know, we had to go on the roller coaster so many times, you know." So we, we lied to him about it, but but it was it was worth it. Thank you very much <laughs> for the call, sir. Thank Thanks, you. Good Steve. luck for the show. Thanks. So, Bob's your Shannon was at Woodstock. Yes, but I hadn't joined the group. You didn't join the group, yeah, but yeah. I think a lot of people said, so, "Really? Oh, yeah, that's right." Yeah, people. Oh, definitely, definitely, and that that propelled the group to the point where it could be an opening act. You know, what was also funny about that, Stu, which, you know, because you and I have done this so much, I might as well share some of these details. Um, the Remember, most of these guys are still students at Columbia. Like, I was a little older than them by a year or two. Mm-hmm. So I had graduated, and I was, I was doing off-Broadway shows as a music director and as an actor, you know. But several of the, a lot of the guys in the group, most of the guys in the group, we're still in school. So when I joined this group, we would do like a weekend, you know, somewhere, 
We were William Morris Agency clients. We were a national act. But we would do a, a weekend somewhere, and then the guys would go back to class for like 10 days. <laughs> and then we'd do the following weekend somewhere else and the same thing we would repeat the pattern so it was very strange uh, <clears throat> you know sort of rock band story and you got into Woodstock yeah but that that started that was a precipitating factor certainly what know. about Greece oh so Greece was during the TV show mm-hmm. so Greece you know 1978 um, we our TV show was already a hit 77 it started it was a hit it got renewed so alan carr the producer who had bought who had optioned greece and was trying to get it done for years you know and really got lucky that um you know that was i think regarded as a relatively small movie when it came out but what really happened was that travolta you know who'd been on welcome back cotter but was only known from tv um wild greece was being made and then released, Saturday Night Fever came out. And Travolta went from mm-hmm. being relatively unknown at all to being huge. And suddenly the Grease movie, you know, was now immediately huge when it came out because of Travolta. Alan Carr wanted more, as many names on the marquee to try to sell this thing as he could possibly get. And uh, he approached you know, our guys, you know, the management and said, you know, I'd like you guys to play the band at the hop, Johnny Casino and the Gamblers. And, you know, there was no reason why we wouldn't. Sure. So we took it. Although I I don't think the director really liked us very much. I mean, I keep... uh, They took an enormous amount of footage, most of which ended up on the cutting room floor. And some of the things that didn't end up, like I'm singing Born to Hand Jive, you know, I'm on Chico, the bass player's shoulders, um, and my head is like, the frame line cuts my head off at the neck, you know, <laughs> I just don't really think, if you if you look at it closely, Johnny Catardo and I reminisce about this at at the Bohegan show. I love that hand jive song. Yeah, it's great. And that was great, and of it course, goes- Travolta was, well... It, go, it goes on for 11 minutes or uh-huh. something like that, the hand jive song, <clears throat> and we're seen for like eight seconds. <laughs> oh, it's too bad. I know it's too bad. but We had the last laugh, though, because the um, we had one whole side of what was the biggest selling soundtrack album of all time. Absolutely. I mean, uh, that that part of the, the, which of course turned out to be a catastrophic hit, that hand jive segment is terrific. They wanted us on the on the marquee, and it was a lot of fun to do. We were only there for a week, you know, at Venice High School, you know, shooting that big scene. But we mm-hmm. sang six songs that are in the movie, you know, every song in that big scene at the hop. So it's like about 20 That's minutes this wonderful thing. worth of material. Are we going to hear you do this at the show? Of course. <laughs> of course. I don't know that I've ever done a show where I didn't do that. Oh, you got to do that one. I think pretty much that's been in every show ever. Of course, the Marcel's version of Blue Moon, you know, as done by Sean and I. And for me, it kind of became, you know, there were two signature songs, mm-hmm. Blue Moon and Good Night, Sweetheart. Good Night, Sweetheart, of yeah. course. You know, that, that for me are, are in every show. So part of the big show on Sunday, and uh, the, this is I just found this out with Bowser on, on our interview, in case you just tuned in, Bowser's with us. You said a fireman. Oh, yes. Who from 9-11 is going to be singing with you. Yeah. Tell me about this story. So this is kind of near and dear to me at this point, and I think it's the third or fourth year that Frank Pizarro's been on this show. He's just become a staple of it. Now, you, you know, Stu, that I spent a lot of time and effort on something we call Truth in Music. And mm. Truth in Music, you know, had to do with getting rid of the scourge of these completely phony gr- imposter groups that had nothing to do with the original groups. So one of the fights that we had was over, uh, had to do with the platters. You know, these are all names that, the issue was group names that, hadn't been protected properly, you know, by trademark 
people would go around and say they were the group, and everybody right. would go, wow. Right. So then there was yeah. years, decades of litigation over these names, and at any rate, we got it cleaned up to the point where the landscape is pretty pure. Um, and one of the people, you know, a lot of this for me was personal because the people who were being ravaged by the phony groups were friends of mine. There were people like Bill Pinckney from the original Drifters and Charlie Thomas from the Drifters and Carl Gardner from the Coasters. You know, real authentic people who had been there. This this is their legacy that was being stolen. And one of the people who was a New Englander actually was Herb Reed and the Platters. Um, you know, so Herb, we were successful in Herb ending up with the name The Platters. Um, so that in his later years, he's passed on now, but in his later years, he was able to perform mm-hmm. on, a, on a clean, fair landscape without a bunch of phony groups roaming around. Um, the reason I bring that up is because Herb said to me, firsthand, literally, Frank Pizarro was his lead singer. You know, Herb was the bass singer, so Herb was never... Herb was never singing any of the leads in the platters. Mm-hmm. Tony Williams sang all the big hits, um, except for a couple by Sonny Turner when when Tony Williams left the group. But the ones by Sonny Turner, by Sonny Turner, as you know, were um, you know they were more upbeat and they were kind of lesser hits. All of the really big ones were Tony Williams. Uh, you know, Great Pretender, Magic Touch, Only You. Uh, classics, real classics. Right, the real classics, Twilight Time, <clears throat> Pick a, My Prayer. We're all Tony Williams. Um, Herb said to me before he passed that he never heard anybody sing the Platters songs more like Tony Williams than Frank Pizarro who was the lead in his group at that time, in, in Herb's group. Um, and Frank was a fireman. He was a New York firefighter, and he had oddly, you know, coincidentally been at 9-11 and did contract, you know, some of the yeah. some of the things that happened to you, you know. Chemicals. In the, yeah, in the, mm. in, the, in the aftermath of 9-11. So he's got that as part of his story, too. But Maynard, who I mentioned to you before, you know, who was a former head of the Tribal Council, and I, you know, just, we just fall apart when Frank Pizarro sings these songs. Like, nobody should touch these songs who's alive that we know of. You know, and Herb, the greatest authority of them all on what the platters are supposed to sound like, you know, said that, said that no one has ever sounded more like Tony Williams than Frank Pizarro, and it's just true. These are songs like Don't Try Them at Home. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's a great story. There are two people on this show mm-hmm. that are singing material... Well, there's more than two people. I really should correct Jackie myself. Jackie Wilson's son. Jackie Wilson's son is the other one that I was thinking of, mm-hmm. which is like Don't Try It at Home. Now, of course, don't try to sing The Lion Sleeps Tonight at home because Jay Siegel will sing it in the original key of F. And that, he still hits that note. That still hits every note. And if you close your eyes, you think the record was, was playing. He comes to your show just to prove that he could still hit those notes. And it's unbelievable. I mean, he Jay is like 82, I think, or 83 even. And... You can't believe it. If you, if, if you, every time I close my eyes and it sounds like the record is playing and he's singing it in exactly the same key. And that's the other thing is, by the way, in my show, no record is ever playing, <laughs> guys. No, this is, yeah, no lip sync. No stuff. lip sync. There's Absolutely. I will vouch for that. Every word is being Absolutely sung. Absolutely no lip sync. But you're right. The, um, it, the two that jump to mind, other than the obvious people, who are singing their own songs. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank Pizarro has got a sound that no one else has. And the Bobby Wilson kid, he's not really a kid, he's over 50, I think. But um, he is the biological son of Bobby Wilson, he, of Jackie Wilson. He looks like him. Yeah, and sounds like him because of the moves. Many people have tried to... to um, 
do Jackie Wilson material and failed. <laughs> like, and they shouldn't try it. Don't try it. Don't try it because Jackie Wilson was one of the most unique, physical, just incredible know, performers that there ever was. And the only person who should be doing this stuff is Bobby Wilson. He, he He's like a clone, and he sounds unbelievable doing it. It's it's like, I mean, don't miss this show, seriously. I was a big Jackie Wilson fan, and I remember, you know, he did a lot of uh, rock and roll stuff. And then one day I heard, uh, I don't know, some on the radio, something like... Uh, Alone at last, that song, and I thought, "Wow, who in the world is that who singer?" Is that? Right. My God, is it Mary Alonza? Right. It was Jackie Wilson? Right. Jackie Wilson was kind of doing the imp- impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he again, was amazing. We all know that. And in Shot and I, you know, where we were bringing back this material, we knew enough not to touch. Not to try to touch the Jackie Wilson stuff. Well, I got to give you lots of lots of accolades because we talked about this a lot. What was going on? Those people pretending that they were the groups, and people were buying into it. Yeah, because no one knew the who, who the actual people in the groups were. You know, yeah. there wasn't mm-hmm. a the, the simplest way to put it, which I always go back to the platters, is that. The Platters actually sold more records than any group before the Beatles. They were actually the biggest record sellers of all the big groups, you know, like the Drifters, the Coasters, right? The Platters sold more records than anybody. Nobody had any idea who those individuals were. When did you ever see them? You know, that makes them like the equivalent of U2, let's say, you know, as, as a group. And you can't, people can't just go around pretending they're Bono. People would laugh, you know, would, would I know, but, laugh but you they out. Did of, that. They would laugh you out of the room. But from the from an era where, when did the group ever get seen, other than a couple of times on the Ed Sullivan show, nobody knew who those people were. And, you know, 50, 40, 50 years later, a bunch of people could parade around and say they were the platters. And that was criminal. It's criminal. I, that used to drive me, because I would go and I'd go immediately, that, wait a minute, hold on here. Right. That's ridiculous. I, mean, they, I remember when I was a little kid and the, the ink spots would sing, and then as I grew older and uh, grew up, and hey, the ink spots, I said, man, they must be in their late hundreds. Right. They're right. still singing. Of course, they weren't. Right. And, it, you know, our effort in truth and music was pretty successful. I got it passed in 34 states. Um, the ones that had the problem, like the, you know, it was mostly a doo-wop era problem. Interestingly enough, uh, you know, it was mo- and that was because these were groups that had no exposure. People didn't know who the individuals were. So largely, the problem, because it was a doo-wop problem, was in the Northeast, Florida, Vegas, you know, Nevada. Um, so I got it passed in the states where it needed to be passed. The other sixteen which I don't know, if I live long enough, I'll probably try to get a pass in the other 16. But where where were the other 16 besides the 34? You know, Montana, South Dakota, you know, places that didn't really have the problem. I remember uh, once once Herman's Hermits were once playing, and there was no Peter Noon. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Hold on, gang. He's very good, you know. Oh, Peter... What a hot one, ticket he is. is one of the, one of the best. A- I, I just did a show with him in uh, Clearwater, Florida, at Ruth Eckert Hall. And he's still... I, I enjoy watching his show. I, I enjoy it myself. Um, because it's never exactly the same. He's very funny off the cuff. You know, he's he, a real entertainer. He's still like that 16-year-old kid when I listen he, to he him. He is. He is. And he just knows how to entertain people. And I really respect that. You know, to me, that's a rare commodity. Next year, if we do Mohegan again, I'll bring back uh, Chubby Checker will headline it again like last mm, year. We hope you will. And and Chubby, well, we don't know. We don't, we yeah, don't kind of ever know until we know. I know. But um, Chubby, Chubby also knows how to entertain people. The reason I'm bringing Chubby into this is that he's an entertainer. Yeah, he's, oh, my sister's so excited he's coming to the Wolf Den soon. Yeah. This is WICH, someone there? I'm going to check it, checking my lines. Okay. Um, so, have you ever thought of getting into serious uh, radio? You know? 
Oh, <laughs> serious. Are you serious, Bowser? <laughs> serious with an I. I just thought of it because we talked about Peter Noon and yeah. we talked about, uh, you know, that uh, Murray the K was doing stuff. And I've thought about it, Stu, but I, I don't know if you've been following this part of me. Um, you know, and this is like the Columbia kid in me came back. But I work very seriously on um, Social Security, Medicare, yes. Medicaid, mm-hmm. uh, drug prices, you know, senior issues. That's who my audience is anyway. You know, those are the people who know who I am. But I'm an expert on senior issues, and I do a lot of work in the area of trying to get people elected who are going to be good on, on senior issues. You know, which is probably your audience, too. You know, no, it's very like, important what you do. Right. I, there's I a lot that. of things going on, uh, you know, that have to be... F- you have to keep that fight, you know, front and center. So I enjoy the show business part of my life. But really my focus on a day-to-day basis has been... Has had more to do with what are we going to do to protect and expand Social mm-hmm. Security, protect and expand mm-hmm. Medicare, lower drug prices for everybody... You know, because you know, I'm glad you said that because yes, there is another life with Bowser. Somebody's waiting. Hi, you have a want to say hi to Bowser? Are you hi, there? Bowser. Hey, who's this? That you have very interesting your interview. Oh, good, thank you. Yep, you're very you're an iconic American. <laughs> you're iconic, I, yes. I do I do my best. And it's very good you're still around to tell you know do it the way it was. Well, Nothing we, like original. We do enjoy doing the shows. The okay, shows are, you take care. Yeah, Thank you very yes. much. I'm still listening to the show. Okay, he's got the background. Uh, thanks for calling in. I, I will vouch that Bowser is the original Bowser. There is no other Bowser. There is no in, other Bowser. In fact, during Truth in Music, you know, I would get that question quite a bit, where it doesn't really apply to solo artists anyway, but I would get that question quite a bit. It's like, do you have this problem, you know, of imposters... And I would go, who, who would be a Bowser imposter? Boy, that would be a terrible career. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, people will try anything, uh, for sure. I had, I had one guy, I had, a, I had a guy in Chicago that I actually had to stop from doing it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because my brother-in-law, there was a guy who called, he, he called himself Mike Bowser Costanza. And <laughs> really, I'm not kidding, Stu. He calls himself Mike Bowser Costanza, and he would go around Chicago. And this was, you know, after the height of, or at and after the height of the Shannon TV show, you know. And we'd do like personal. And he, he claimed he he came to the sh- to our shows, and he claimed that he always told people that he was not really Bowser. That he always told people he was just Mike Costanza, and he wasn't really Bowser. And then my brother-in-law lived in Chicago at that time. He calls me up one day and he says, Nice of you to tell us you're in town. I go, huh? Uh-huh. He, says, he says, the Blackhawks game. I go, what Blackhawks game? He says, you came on the ice and you scored a goal. I go, like, I didn't, uh, and somewhere in the middle I said, oh. Mike Bowser Costanza. And sure enough, Mike Bowser Costanza had co- conveniently forgotten about the Mike Costanza part. And in between periods of a Chicago Blackhawks hockey game, went on the ice and shot a, shot a puck into the net. That's a riot. Pretending that he was me. <laughs> yeah, so... So it can happen to anybody, apparently, but so, that's the yeah. only time it really happened. He was a doo-wop singer, and he also was on Seinfeld. Yeah. Well, correct. Right? It, Costanza. It's funny, it's funny that his last name was Costanza, but I think his last name really was Costanza. I want me to ask you for the rundown of... Uh, well, I, I could talk to you for hours, as you, I would probably always say always that. Always fun. Always fun, but let me just get to uh, after I do this. All right, my friend, and of course, tickets available. You just go go to the door and you can get your tickets. Yeah, I think there's still some tickets left. Some tickets. You know, it always it always sells well. The the other thing is, every seat's a good seat yeah. in that arena. We don't. It's scaled. It's a ten thousand seat arena, but it's scaled to like seventy two fifty or something mm-hmm. like that. And you don't get seats behind. And you really get your money's worth, folks. It's a lot. It's of a lot of fun. Show it's, and they don't cut you short. I I know that. No, that's uh, true. So, um, who we got coming again? Okay, so Bowser's Rock and Doo Party, Volume 22, starring...
Kenny Vance and the Planetones, Gary U.S. Bonds, Jay Siegel's Tokens, Lala Brooks, original lead singer of The Crystals. She's the gal who sang to do run run and, and, and then he kissed me. You know, it's her voice, and you can't mistake it. The Dubs will be there. Joey D still jumping around all over the Peppermint stage. Peppermint Lounge, In his yes. 80s from the Peppermint Lounge. Johnny Farina, the guy who played uh, as Santo and, and Johnny, yeah. played Sleepwalk, which got, how many movies has Sleepwalk been in? It's, it's amazing. Over and over and over <laughs> again. Um, 9-11 firefighter Frank Pizarro, who we talked about, who's singing the music of the platters with the voice that sounds just like Tony Williams. My my group, Bowser and the Stingrays, featuring my friend Johnny Cantardo, who will sing from the Grease movie, Those Magic Changes, uh, which I warranty sing, has sung better than anybody out of the 50 million people who have done sung that song in the stage version of Grease. Um, our special guest, Bobby Wilson, son of Jackie Wilson, doing things that nobody else should even try. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to be a great show. It's going to be a lot of fun. You'll get more than your entertainment dollars worth, and we look for to Mohegan Sun every year. And will Jay hit that note? We'll find he's, out. Oh no, he's gonna he's gonna hit it. If Jay Jay is somebody that at the moment that he's not going to hit that note, he will yeah. never do another show. I know. Just like Jay in the American when he would do Caramia, Jay would be so proud of himself hitting that note. Uh, it's one, amazing. Another another thing, let me just say, you know, Jay Black, who we're talking about, and Karamia. Yeah. That was another one. Nobody should have tried. Nobody, just Nobody could don't do that. try it. Don't try it. Like, if you're not Jay Black, don't sing that song. And that's kind of what I'm ta- talking about. With well, I know it's going to be a big Bobby night. Wilson. It's going to be a big night. And I was so glad that you're coming back uh, this Sunday at 3 o'clock at Mohegan Sun Arena. Please keep in touch with us anytime you want to come on, because, you know, I think a lot of us would like to hear your stories for hours. Well, thank you, Stu. It's been great being here. And And this is the year. Greece will be for peace. (laughs) Greece has got to be for peace. Uh Good morning, (laughs) or afternoon it almost is, and Greece for peace.